Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, and thank you for tuning in as we celebrate our 15th anniversary. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled Pre-Launch, Checklist, and Payload. Turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. right. Happy anniversary, Vail Christian Church. You know, um, I remember when we got ready to launch on a Sunday morning, we were so focused, we were so intentional and and just driven that about um, three weeks, maybe three weeks, two weeks, something like that, I was so consumed, that's when we realized we were launching Vail Christian Church on Super Bowl Sunday. And, and we started looking at each other going, this, what, is this a good idea? Is this a good day to do it? And um, I can't tell you how many things we've done on, on the, uh, things like that. And uh, I think this is way better than the Super Bowl will be anyway. I'm, yeah, anyway. I'm, yeah, of course. I mean, and not to mention, I'm just tired of watching Tom Brady play football. <laughs> Whatever with that guy. Right, so uh, I, um, yeah, I think it's going to be. It's just all about the food for me today, at the Super Bowl. But more importantly, when we launched Vale Christian Church, um, I guarantee you, as the church planter, I did not know what I was doing. It was really clear that I had gathered a group of people around me. And um, Linda and I would talk when um, I'd get home, and I'm like, yeah, they think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I wasn't lying or fibbing. It's just uh, I did not not know what I was doing. Um, not very many of us did. We did not know what we're getting into, but my goodness, it's, um, it's been the greatest journey I could ever imagine being a part of. It's been the most difficult thing I've ever done and been a part of, but it's been the, the most freeing and fun and awesome thing all at the same time. It's kind of crazy. Um, we have a history that is rich. God has uh, uh, blessed us. He's trusted us with so many things. It's been uh, super cool. And all around the auditorium, you can see really great things. We just put up some of our teaching series posters um, throughout the years, uh, 15 years, because we felt like um, they would represent um, really well kind of our, our journey. Over here, there's a, um, there's a, a huge display of the, the worship tools. I, I don't know if you realize the thing we hand out, you know, every Sunday, we call it a worship tool. It's meant to just be useful to you for all kinds of things. And, and that's morphed over the years. It's very artistic in, in years past. Um, quite a bit. We, we spend a lot of time with them. So you can see that journey over there. You can go uh, check them out. Back here, it says 15. It's all spelled out with um, our, our newsletters, right? This, our past newsletters and things. When we were renting Empire High School, we didn't want it to be digital on purpose. We wanted you to be able to hand something to somebody that represented uh, Vail Christian Church. And so those are super cool and kind of, um, I think... Um, record our journey as well. There's lots of stuff. We, if you were here early, uh, we played our first year video and, um, and our 10 year video and then um, this one. So we have a, a huge heritage when I look back. The stories, 
uh, the craziness. I cannot believe in um, uh, what God has done. And so we've been in this facility five years, which seems like um, uh, not that long ago. It seems really long. Uh, the other day I was talking to these people about um, resealing our parking lot. And I'm like, really? We need to do that already? And they're like, yeah, you should have done it last year. And uh, I said I was worried about other things, <laughs> right? It's been a great journey. What I want to do this morning, though, is I want to remind us of our journey. I want to go back. Um, I, I've only done this a, a couple of times. Uh, one time, I don't even think you knew it, but I'm going to just tell you straight up today. I'm going to preach the same message I did on our very first Sunday today, um, but I, I think it's going to be better. I think it's going to be, I think I've learned a lot uh, over this last number of years. I think it's going to be better. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, there's 17 verses we're going to look at. Just before we got ready to launch, we, I, I, I had pulled together a team and we had some really great people, Julie Biaggi. I remember approaching Julie Biaggi and just saying, listen, I need a young person to help me do some stuff and I think you're it. I think you can help me with children ministry and, and teenagers. And this is the way I want to do it. And I need you to do it. And I can't pay you. <laughs> and she said, okay. <laughs> she said, okay. So Julie and I, we started raising money and all these things. And oh, she was fantastic. She was the perfect person just to uh, roll up your sleeves and kind of go for it. And I ask a lot of young people um, to... Uh, to help uh, do some things. And we, we got going, and just before we launched, we said, my goodness, I think we need a worship leader. This is going to be crazy. And so um, we hired a guy, and, uh, his family, um, Lane Rogers, and he was such a fantastic person, um, in, in particular for that first year. He was so creative. And uh, we had already kind of gone down this road where Julie and I and some other people were trying to do some graphic things, and we're like, this is nuts. So we hired a guy, Lane Rogers, and he was fantastic. I mean, he's really the, the brainchild behind all the movie poster kind of stuff and the worship tool and a lot of things that we still utilize. And, um, but Julie and I and another guy named Tim Schaefer, we did our best to come up with our very first poster for our series. And so... I think there's some plagiarism involved. I don't know. We, that's a, that's a, we just found this rocket from the early days of, you know, not the Apollo stuff, but whatever it was before you went to the moon, you circled the earth. Anyway, and we put together this series, um, and uh, I, I don't know. We were pretty proud of that. And then Lane came. He's like, that's terrible. You guys, you guys can't do that. You're going to get you know, somebody's going to have to pay for that. So anyway, um, it was pretty great those days. But this message was called the pre-launch checklist and payload. And that's how not creative I was, right? <clears throat> All the things you got to go through before you actually launch a checklist and just what you're about to do. You got to measure what you're going to do if you're going to launch something, right? So our very first Sunday, I tried my best to focus on these things. Julie and I went to a little boot camp. I invited Mike Van Fleet. He was going to help us with some other guys um, 
develop a leadership team that would eventually become an elder council and on and on. And so we went to this boot camp and, and um, they said, you guys need some kind of a mission statement, right? And we're looking at each other going, okay. So we spent all this time in this little hotel room kind of working through things and just talking through, you know, what should we really cling to? And this little passage of scripture comes uh, to mind, and I think you'll get it. But see, here's our mission statement. It is making room in life to connect people to God and others. Making room in life to connect people to God and others. And then eventually this mantra kind of came uh, a little bit later before we moved into this building, just kind of condensing it down to worship, gather, give, and serve. But the, the concept or the, I think the mandate from Scripture about making room is where we landed. Without room in your life, you can't explain Jesus to anybody. You got to have space and time and, and it, it requires some things. We're going to talk about that a little bit today because I'm, I'm, I'm more committed to this mission and mandate than ever. And I think you're going to see why today. So Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start at verse 1. We'll just read a a number of verses. You'll recognize this scene. It says, Now when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Right away you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. Don't you wish it would work like that at your house? I need you to go do this. If anybody says just anything, just say, Dad needs them. Dad needs it. Nobody will question it. It does not work like that, does it? I love that about Jesus. This is so cool. Just in those verses, he's got the power, Right? He already knows. Okay. Um, Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Tell the people of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, assuming and seated on a donkey in a colt, the full of a donkey. So verse 6, it says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. That's really cool. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them. And he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, those following, kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was thrown into an uproar, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12, then Jesus entered the temple area and he drove out all those who were selling and buying in the temple courts. And he turned over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house... It says he said it, but I feel like he was shouting it, right? 
yelling it. He definitely was raising his voice. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are turning it into a den of robbers. Now, I want you to underline verse 14, because we're going to come back to this. I think it's the most important verse in the whole thing. It says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple courts, and he healed them. But the chief priests and the experts in the law saw the wonderful things he did and, he, and heard the children crying out in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They became indignant and they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says to them, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever read Psalm chapter eight or Psalm eight, right? Out of the mouths of children and nursing infants, you've prepared praise for yourself. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he spent the night there. Now, you know, this is kind of that scene we, we, we've gone through this actually a lot. We're going to go through it again this year um, on Palm Sunday. We're going to look at this scene actually from a lot of different angles. But I think it is fascinating, and it's telling to see what a high profile making room has in the New Testament. I think making room or creating space ranks right up there with specific manifestations of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God's work. All Christ followers are called, in my view, to make room, or you could say, be hospitable. I think the New Testament screams it, actually, to be hospitable towards one another and toward other people or people far from God. And so, so why are we going to talk about this today? Why today? I mean, on our anniversary Sunday. Well, it's got a lot to do with our mission, I think, our mandate. But I also believe that when you view this from, the, from a correct angle, through the right lens, so to speak, I think you can see that making room, I think, has to do more with Jesus and his journey to the cross than we sometimes realize. And if we can see this as true and why, I think you'll discover really great lessons that, that can apply to the way that you live and the way that we function and should function as a church. N- number one, um, what we're going to see is Jesus as the, the ultimate cosmic host, I want to kind of pull the camera back. I want to zoom out a little bit because I think that's really important to get a little context. And I want you to consider God's act of creations, creation. Theologians do this a lot and they wrestle through lots of things. People are a lot smaller, smarter than me. But a traditional question a lot of theologians ask about creation is this. If before God created the heavens and the earth, If before all that, God was all that there was and all that there had ever been, then where exactly did God create the universe? It's not as though there was an empty space waiting to be filled. If God was all that there was or ever had been, didn't he need to carve out room for the universe even before he created the universe and all of of the things that he did in that creation? So I want you to think of it like this. If you want to build a house, you can begin by designing it. 
You can draw up the blueprints. You can plan your new house right down to the kind of knobs you want on your kitchen cabinets. But you can't build a house just out in thin air. You can't do it. All right? You need a place to build it. So you need a, um, a vacant lot. Right? Without space being available first and foremost, your house can't get built I don't care how meticulous you are with the plans and how much you plan it out. So I think it's, this is uh, true of God as well. He intended to create a universe with galaxies, stars, planets, fish, right? Quail. Those things you shouldn't feed in your backyard, but you do anyway. But since God was all that existed, there was at first no equivalent of the vacant lot on which to build this creation. Before he could begin to build the cosmos, God needed to invent a space that had not been there before, okay? Now, some theologians think maybe God created the universe inside of, its, um, inside of his own self. And maybe the whole cosmos exists inside of God. I completely reject that theory. I think they're a bunch of mushheads. Because it blurs the distinction between the creator and his creation. I believe the universe is separate from God. Still, I think that you can view the creation as God's ultimate act of love and design. However he did it, not, you know, we weren't there and I don't know. And I don't want to get too down in the weeds. However he did it, God made room for us. There's no doubt. Sometimes when you have an out-of-town guest visit, right, what do you do? You take the spare room or the, uh, uh, the study, the library, the whatever, and you put a blow-up mattress in there. You move up something in there, all right, for the guest to come. The guest arrives, and they're like, hey, we don't want to put you out. We can stay over at the Hampton Inn. It's brand new. Do you realize we have a kind of a hotel in Vail now? Unbelievable, Right? And what do you do? You say, are you kidding? I don't want to hear any more about it. I've made some space for you. You're welcome. Come on. I want you to stay with me, right? Our creator is the ultimate cosmic host. He carves out a niche for us. This is at least part of the reason why when you read Genesis 1, account of creation, you read so much about all that separating that God did in creating. God has said to separate waters from waters, light from darkness, water from dry land, all of that divine activity was making room, creating space, clearing out a place for us and all creatures. The gospel of John, I love the gospel of John, in particular how it starts. It tells us that, God, uh, that it was the Son of God, the Word of God, who had been with God the Father from the beginning, who was the chief implementer in all this. The Word of God was the one who made room for the rest of us. That same Word later became flesh and took on the name Jesus the incarnation, the one who had made space for us, came to the world he had made. But tragically, when you keep reading John's opening chapter, it tells us something else. 
The word became flesh, became one of us. But when he came to what was his own, his own people did not receive him. But isn't that just the nature of the very sin Jesus came to die for? Aren't we human beings constantly shutting people out, stiff-arming people, doing the spiritual equivalent of slamming a door, the front door in the face of other people, other creatures, all kinds of stuff, filling our lives so full that there's no room? We are chief, we are king of, I don't have time, I can't afford it, it doesn't fit. I, I, I want to set the tone though a little bit more, or actually Jesus is the one who sets the tone. God sets the tone here. If a creation began on a note of divine hospitality, I mean that's really making room, divine hospitality, creating some space then that was meant to set the tone for the rest of all living. We keep on acting inhospitable to one another, denying room and space for others. That's, that's what we do. Even when we have ourselves felt the sting of shutting people out or being shut out. In Jesus' day, the religious community had become the ultimate members-only club. You know, part of the reason why I don't like using um, things like calling Vail Christian Church VCC, because if you're not a part of Vail Christian Church, you don't know what VCC stands for. I mean, for all you know, that could stand for Vail Community College. I mean, what does it stand for? You don't, you don't know what it stands for. I don't, I, I don't like things like that. And so... Uh, we try really hard not to do that because it makes us feel exclusive in a club, like you're only going to know if you're a part of it. I love World Vision, but they're, the, they're, 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 the, they're chief in using those in acronyms and things like that, as does the military. You all know, right? Once in a while, I'll be talking to my kid, and he'll say something I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know where that is and what that is. I don't know what that represents. He's like, come on, I've told you. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And I, I know you know what, you're ta- what, what I'm talking about, right? You only know if you're in the military, in, in my view. Okay, so in Jesus' day, this is what's going on. It's like a members-only club. The Pharisees were experts at shutting out undesirables and all kinds of people. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem that day, the people shout, Hosanna. Uh, they shouted out to the one who offered salvation. And who knows precisely what the crowds had in mind when they're saying that. We don't exactly know. But if they thought that the salvation Jesus was going to achieve was going to bolster their exclusive nature, the religious community, right? Jesus shatters that illusion just instantly. He went straight to the temple and without missing a beat, he chased out the money changers and he drove the, 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 the dove sellers out of there. And uh, there was an in and of itself, nothing wrong with this, but I, you, you got to examine this a little bit, but I promise you, Jesus is mean about it actually and angry. You're like, what? Jesus is mean? Yes, he is. He goes right up to a bunch of tables full of stuff and he turns them all over. He throws them all around, driving people out. I guarantee you, if you're to do that, you're angry and people are going, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here because you're fearful of what he might do. He does. I think this is one of these scenes. He, he just gets angry. I can't believe that. Well, 
believe it. That's why I want to pay attention to this. The problem with all the kiosks and the booths that particular day was that they were set up, not in some neutral space, but in this place called the Gentile courts. This is the space God sets aside in the temple design for non-Jews and others to come and pray to God, the non-church people. It gives you a clue already. Why is Jesus so fired up, so angry? Okay, now look, by occupying that space, the money changers were denying access to the temple to the people that God wanted to see and he wanted to hear from. That is profound. That's profound. Jesus came to us not to swing the doors shut, but to fling the doors wide open. Wide open to the kingdom. That doesn't deny that Jesus himself said some things. Look at Matthew 7, 14. It says, but the, gates are narrow, the gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to life. And there are few who find it. You can find these other places. Enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide. <laughs> what? And the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who's going to enter, th- enter through it. Luke 13, 24 says, exert every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So the road that leads to life, it's a narrow way. It's a narrow way. And not the wide and easy path people would prefer to follow. It's not to deny that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way. That's not what it is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to get to the Father except through Jesus. Language like that sounds exclusive, not inclusive. But so long as the invitation is given by those who've made room to do it and to freely give it to everyone without distinction, it is not finally intended to shut out, but to invite in. Just because the invitation is specific doesn't mean it is rudely discriminatory. What do you mean? Well, if I were to throw a dinner downtown, a party downtown somewhere... An expensive one, invite anyone and everyone to come. That would be an inclusive, broad invitation that really did extend to anyone and and all people. I could do it. Of course, in order to eat the food I was offering, you still have to venture downtown and walk through the front doors to get into the place. And you might even have to put a mask on. The fact that you had to come in and do that specific, to that specific place and go through those particular doors would not make my dinner elitist or ex- an exclusive affair or an exclusive event. It wouldn't do that. And so I'm, I wouldn't be moved all that much if someone said, if you were really interested in, in, in being open to everybody, you'd cater the meal to my own living room. And I'd say, well, that might be a good thing, and I could consider talking about that. But, it's, but, but for now, the, ban- uh, the banquet in question, it's downtown. Come and see. You're going to be welcome. 
Jesus makes room once again, and we, we, we kind of forget this. Jesus came to remind us that making room is the universe's keynote presentation, and it's been from the very beginning. That's why I love Matthew 21, 14. I want you to focus on that verse for a minute. Look at this. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple courts, and he healed them. So Jesus clears space in the temple, and then what is the very next thing, immediately the next thing we read? The blind and the lame came to him in the temple courts, and he heals them. It was instantaneous. No sooner does Jesus make room than that room is filled in with the people who had previously been shut out. The very essence, and here you go, the red dot in the middle of the target, the very essence of Jesus' journey to the cross is right there in that image, right there. Jesus died on the cross for more reasons than we can conceive. The work of Jesus on the cross provided us a wide room as big as the cosmos. Even if we tried, we would never be finished in making a list of all the hurts Jesus healed, all the wrongs he had righted, all the broken down things he repairs and makes new. We baptized some people today and you know, we talked about this as a team a lot. We want to have a t-shirt. We want them to walk away from the t-shirt. We want it to be... Uh, in every picture of everybody we baptize, it says right in the front, splashed across, made new. That's what he wants to do when you come to Jesus. He wants to make things new. But what all those amazing things have in common is the fact that by dying as a man within his cre- this creation, Jesus, the word of God, who uh, in the beginning uh, hospitably made all things, including room for us, he died to make room for us once again. That's, that's unbelievable. This is one community that defines the goodness of being an insider only by the divine grace that brought us in to, to begin with. That's the household of faith, a family of families, the church. That grace is such a treasured gift that if you really understand it, if you really, really get it, then you understand that your mission is to bring that same grace to everyone. And I want you to think as I just say that, how angry it made Jesus when that was being stifled. As a kingdom insider, you do not define the goodness of that status by the fact that some are still outside. In fact, you're actually pained that anybody remains outside. You wish there were no outsiders who were far from God. Of all the places you could choose for Jesus to be upset, angry, mad, fired up, mean, and wild, There's a poster over here somewhere. It says, it's titled Jesus Mean and Wild. And I did a whole series on this, all these places where Jesus, where this happens. This is is the center piece of the whole thing. The religious leaders found this tough to swallow. They didn't like it. Man, they didn't like it. 
they suddenly found their precious temple inundated with the lame and the blind and other undesirable things. Worse, there were screaming kids all over the place. Did you catch that? (laughs) Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They kept shouting like a broken record. This just didn't look like the temple that they were used to. They were indignant. Matthew tells us in verse 15, indignant. You know what that means, right? Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the experts in the law saw the wonderful things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they become indignant. Did you hear? They're like, do you hear what these children are saying, Jesus? They shouted over the top of all the craziness going on. You know, Jesus is just like wrecking everything. (laughs) It's awesome. And Jesus, there's no way he doesn't shout this back. Yes, I've heard what they said. Have you ever read Psalm 8? (laughs) Out of the mouths of children and nursing infants, you have prepared praise for yourself. On that note, Jesus leaves. That's so great. He leaves for the day. But I want you to see something really important about the fact that Jesus quoted Psalm 8. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 8 because... What is Psalm 8 if not a celebration of God's handiwork in creation? Have you read it? It's amazing. David writes this psalm. It's pretty short. Just get your arms around the the, the creation description. But there's something right in the middle that's stunning in the middle of all this. Listen to this. Psalm chapter 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout the earth. You reveal your majesty in the heavens above from the mouths of children and nursing babies. You have ordained praise on account of your adversaries so that you might put an end to the vindictive enemy. When I look up at the heavens, which your fingers made, and see the moon and the stars, which you set in place. Here it comes. You ready? Of what importance is the human race that you should notice them? Of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them and make them a a little less than the heavenly beings? You grant mankind honor and majesty. You appoint them to rule over the creation. You've placed everything under their authority, including all the sheep and the cattle, as well as the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that moves through the currents of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout the earth. Verse 4, look at verse 4. Of what importance is the human race that you should notice them? (laughs) That's the psalmist's question. When dwarfed by the immensity of the universe. But we we know the answer. His question is, what importance is the human race that you should notice them? What's the answer? We matter to God. We matter to God. We're small, but making space for us in God's own divine hospitality was the main work of creation to begin with. You see? Jesus quoted Psalm 8, not, not, not simply because it talked about children provided an answer to these sneering fools, you know, these leaders who are un- unhappy about all those kids. Jesus quoted that particular psalm because of all the work, all of his work, by the way, all of his work, he came to do, all of this he came to do was, it, it was all about bringing us back to creation's intentions 
and making room for everyone, the last, the least, the lost, the lonely. Actually, I didn't realize how many L's there were in that list. It wasn't intentional. People whose lives, there's another one, have been fractured by sin. As Jesus gets on that donkey for his ride into the holy city of Jerusalem, you can see the start of his final trek towards the cross. We follow him on what is called the way of sorrows. With satisfaction. We already know the victory of the resurrection. We know the end of the story. But as the church, the household of faith, a family of families, we've got to remind ourselves, be reminded often, over and over again. That's kind of the purpose of a mission statement or a vision statement or mantras to remind ourselves to be careful not to do too many things that is not highly connected to inviting all other people to this gospel feast of joy and satisfaction and freedom. You got to pay attention to how much space and room is in your lives to do that. There's a cost, though. You can't get away with not observing the cost. If any good host will tell you, making room always costs you something. It's not easy to withdraw and pull back enough so you can make room for other people. It's not easy. You got to work at it. You have to give up something to exercise good hospitality. You just do. Sometimes you have to give up certain long-held preconceived notions. You have to adjust to new patterns. Sometimes you have to move out of your own comfort zone in order to make others comfortable. It'll cost you lots of things. Making room costs something. You have to give things up to do it. Routines get disrupted. Adjustments have to be made to accommodate others and to speak into others' life and just to explain Jesus. That can be hard work. It requires sacrifice, and you've heard me say this. You cannot define sacrifice unless you define it properly. When something is sacrificed, something dies. But what is this event that we've been looking at, at all, uh, all about if it's not about sacrifice? You see, in the church, like many places in life, the most inhospitable things we say come readily to our lips. I think it may be some of the saddest things that I, that I ever hear come out of our mouths. And I'm not trying to be a big downer about things. I'm just trying to be truthful, right? We say things like, I don't got time. I don't have time. I don't have space. I don't have room. There's not enough room. I can't afford it. It doesn't fit in my schedule. I'm too busy. Now, it's true. There's this other factor. I'm going to call it apathy, uh, laziness, passivity, a lack of urgency. Uh, we just don't spend enough time saturating our lives with the story, God's word, in order to know how, just how important this is. Inconsistency kind of undermines the whole thing. So can we just talk about what this has to do with me? Now, I just put some, I just splattered some stuff up there. Some things are metaphorical. Some things are 
they can be actual and metaphorical. Just think through this. What does this have to do with me? The implications are this. If you're going to make room in your life, this is so important to Jesus. If this makes Jesus angry, I want to be, I want to be paying attention because this Gentile court thing, this is exactly what he wanted. These are all these people that weren't on the inside of the church, so to speak, in the New Testament. These are people who are outside. If this is a big deal, then this making room thing is really a big deal. So what's this have to do with me? Well, let's just examine how much room you got in your life is the, is, is the kind of thing, right? Our mission statement says, making room in life to connect people to God. So if there's no room, there's no, you can't connect people to God. You can't explain Jesus. If you don't have time, uh, if you haven't invested, I mean, you're just not going to do it. There will be no connection to God or anybody else. There won't be any worship, gathering, giving, and serving. These are some of the mechanisms that we utilize, right? This is what we're all about. This is who we are supposed to be. So here we go. What's this got to do with me? Number one, do you need to downsize? <laughs> just went through this process. Uh, maybe that's why it's on my heart. Sometimes just downsizing actually creates more space because you just got less to deal with, you know? So there's a metaphor in that too, you know, downsize in terms of all these things you're committed to. Do you know somebody who you're like, yeah, they're committed to so many things. None of the things that they are committed to gets any of them, hardly any of the best part of who they are, right? Okay, how about this? Uh, do you need to uh, cancel cable? I know. It's, it, it, maybe you really need to do it, but maybe there's some other things in your life that are just like cable. You know, we just veg out in front of all kinds of things that we don't need. To, it just consumes us, right? Okay, keep going. Uh, do you need to knock out a wall? So maybe you just need to adjust the wall. You know, knocking out a wall sometimes like, oh, wow, it's wide open now. Look what I can do. You know, not, like I said, it's metaphorical and could be real. Okay, uh, do you need to have a garage sale? Yeah, right? Everybody always talks about that. We got $500 worth of garbage in our garage and then $20,000 to $40,000 car that won't fit in. Sits out there in the sun and rots. All right, do you need to better equip yourself or take a class? You know, just read your Bible, all these things. Oh my goodness, Yeah. You need to change the way you think about school activity. I love school activity. But you know, I, I, part of the reason why youth group has really surged recently, because <laughs> there's no school stuff to do. Those consuming, all-consuming sports things, those are great, and I'm not saying don't do it. But there's got to be balance. I mean, people are just like, that's your God sometimes. And there's so much of that that, that that there's no room for anything else. I mean, this, all these activities, you know, do you just need to declutter? Oh, it's, it's, it's freeing. How about, do you need to develop a budget? <laughs> and we're constantly shocked. You know, 70% of the church families do, don't have a budget. You know, you don't plan if you don't plan things, things will get planned for you. If you don't know where every dollar goes, of course you can't give and things like that. We should be free to give, to give, to make room. Oh, I love Vail Christian Church. I love our mission statement. I love our mantras. I love this. I love all looking back at all these posters and all these things. We've got a rich history. It's a, a rich heritage. We've done some amazing things. 
We have learned a lot. But there is so much more that we need to be about and do. Right? We need to build some more buildings. We need to hire some more staff. We need to. It's, it's exploding. It's growing all around us. I don't want to be sitting here trying to play catch up. Don't you want to be ahead of the curve? Well, when you got room in your life, you can do it. You can do it. Look how important it was to Jesus. And I think it's fascinating and telling to see what a high profile making room has throughout the scriptures. It's huge. Thank you, Lord, for all the, uh, um, the, the, the things that you, you, you've presented to us in this, just this little story, Lord. We want to be people who have room and space in our lives for others. We want to have the room to explain who Jesus is. We want to be able to utilize that story like you want us to. Help us to be the church, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.